I want to speak this morning on a topic that is, uh, I think, an ongoing topic that we should all have in our hearts and our lives. And it's, it's titled this morning, Measuring Our Spiritual Growth. It's uh, very similar to what I've been speaking of the last few weeks. And I'm really being challenged in my life as I go into 2012 and, and on. And, and I believe that it's also a challenge for the life of this church in the area of being spiritually hungry. Hunger and thirst are a very natural part of living. We all experience it. We all experience hunger and thirst. And, and we do that as the way that our bodies tell us that we need nutrition and we need water to sustain our life. If we didn't feel hunger, if we didn't feel thirst, we wouldn't know that we needed to eat or drink. So it's an important God-given characteristic or a trait that we have that informs us as we listen to our body that I need to eat or I need to drink. And if we didn't get thirsty and if we didn't get hungry, we would eventually die. If we didn't feed ourselves, if we didn't hydrate ourselves, we would eventually die. Spiritually, we can re relate these same aspects in our spiritual life to the amount that we feed our spiritual man. It's amazing how God so tightly brings things together, the physical and the spiritual. They intertwine so nicely, and they have such a, a nice fit that we can relate my physical hunger to the need for my spiritual hunger, for they both have the same purpose. They're to feed my man. One is a physical man, and one is a spiritual man. And the significant difference in our physical life and our spiritual life is pretty amazing. See, when we're physically born, we're given, we're given life without a choice. When you were born, nobody asked you if you wanted to breathe. Nobody asked you if you wanted your heart to beat. You were born naturally with life. Our physical man is born alive. That's how we live. That's the aspects of how we live. But our spiritual man, however, is different. Spiritually, we are born dead. Listen how important this is. Physically, I am born alive. Spiritually, I am born a dead man. Spiritually, I have no life. Now, there's a caveat here. You know, those babies and people that don't reach an age of accountability you know, for whatever reasons, for um, a mental challenge reasons or whatever, God has a compassionate plan. And until we reach an age of accountability, and if we, if, we, if we pass, then we go to heaven. So there's a lot of babies in heaven today. There's a lot of uh, people that, that never reached the mental capacity to make a decision for Christ, and they're in heaven today. But all of us in this room today are beyond that point of accountability. All right. Now, when you reach a certain age of life, be it, be it 5, 6, 7, 8, 15, I don't know, depending on who you are, depending on what your mental capacity is, you come to a point of accountability. Now, at that point, understand that our spiritual man is not alive. We still have a spiritual man, but our future for that spiritual man is death, and it's eternal destruction, and it's eternal hell. So spiritually, we, we do not begin life in the same way. Our, our default position spiritually is not heaven. Our default position, if we do nothing after we reach that age of accountability, our spiritual position is death. 
And it says so in John, Jesus talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the, the leaders in the pharisaical world. And Jesus talks in John chapter 3. It says, in reply, verse 3 and 6 through 6, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. In other words, flesh and spirit. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So for our spirit man to be brought to life, eternal life, it must be born again. We must make some type of a transaction for our spirit man to be brought to life. And that's called salvation. And probably most of us in this room have experienced that at least one time in their life. But what happens after that? What happens to our spiritual man? Our spiritual man is made alive at salvation, and then what? It needs to be fed. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be uh, encouraged to grow. What's not so obvious with our spiritual man is seeing that, seeing that progress. Spiritually, it's not so obvious if I'm growing or not. So I'm, telling, I'm here this morning to say that we need to monitor that, we need to be concerned about that, and we need to know that our spiritual man's growth is more important than our physical man's growth. Now, how can you say that? I can say that because I'm physically going to die someday, but my spirit will last forever. It's just a matter of where is it going to last. Is it going to be in hell or is it going to be in heaven? But when you die, you are not going to sleep. You are transforming yourself from this world, this physical world, to a spirit world that will either be in heaven or be in hell. And you need to make a choice. That's the big difference between a physical life and a spiritual life. Physical life, I don't have a choice. Spiritual life, I have a choice. That's called free will. God created with that with us, within us, and now we have to be understanding that that is very important that we understand and we make the choice. Now, Satan, our common enemy's entire goal is to keep our spiritual man from growing and maturing. That's his goal, is to keep me from becoming a strong, vibrant Christian. See, he may not, he may not have been able to prevent me from that salvation experience. Because it is my choice, the enemy can't stop me. He can hinder me. But once I become saved, now his battle is a lifelong battle against me to keep me from growing, to keep me stagnant. And Satan has a lot of deceptive strategies that are a work within us all the time. And it, and it didn't just start with me, and it just didn't start with you. His deceptive strategies has been, have been around since the very beginning of creation. The first woman and man created, Adam and Eve, were caught up by Satan's deceptive strategies. We, we've talked about it numerous times, and, and, and we go back to this verse a lot, and, and I don't want to overbeat it, but in Genesis chapter 3, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the, ser and the serpent's reply was this, You will not surely die. 
The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan came in in a very deceptive manner. He said some truth. Because what happened to Eve when she ate the apple? Did she die? Physically, did she die? No, but spiritually. See, up to that point in time, Adam and Eve were created with no choice in their spirit life because when God breathed into them, he breathed his spirit. And they were alive spiritually. They, they, they were the only two human beings that were born or that were created or had a beginning with the spirit man alive. They were alive spiritually and they were alive physically. When Eve sinned, when she went against God's plan for her life, when she disobeyed God, they then introduced spiritual death and physical death. Because up to that point in time, they were, they were intended to live forever. Spiritually and physically, they didn't, death was not part of God's plan. Death came in as Adam and Eve made a bad choice. So now the choice then that they made that resulted in spiritual and physical death is the same choice that we have today. But now the choice in our life is not to maintain the spiritual life initially. It is to create the spiritual life as we are listening to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit comes in and brings his conviction power to us that says you need to change this in your life. You need to ask Christ into your life. You need to ask for forgiveness of your sins. As you do that, your spirit man is born again. And now you have the spirit man alive within you that wasn't alive before you said those words or believed in Jesus Christ. That is being born again. That is the definition of salvation. That is the change that happens in a man or woman's life is when you come from spiritual death to spiritual life through being born again. And I know that this is very Sermonology 101. I know this is very basic, but we are told in some things in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's important that we know that the sin that is in our life is going to result in eternal death if we don't make a change. Matthew 25.46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So if you do not make that change, you are destined for eternal punishment. I'm sorry to say that. It's hurtful to say that, but that's the facts. That's what the Bible says, and that's what we believe. So what I'm challenged with this morning in my life, and I want to make sure that we're all challenged with this, once we have that initial transformation, once we have that born-again experience where we ask Jesus into our life, that's not the end. That's just the beginning of living a Christian life. So I'm challenged here, and I want to challenge you with this, is that we don't minimize the necessity of maintaining a spiritual life growth curve in the upward direction. We ended last year and began this year earlier by talking about satisfying the thirst of our lives. And basically we discussed that deep longing that all of us have in our inner man, whether we recognize it or not, it is, 
as the desire that God has planted in us that only he can fulfill. We all have something within us that, that would, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them alive spiritually. He did not destroy the vacuum. He did not destroy the God-shaped position in man's heart when, when they died spiritually. We still have that. There's still a longing within us. We just quite often don't recognize it for what it is. And the world certainly doesn't recognize it from what it is. God created a spiritual hunger in our lives, and the world doesn't recognize it. Satan's plan, then, is to confuse this spiritual hunger that's created by God that only he can fulfill with a desire to fill it with anything else mankind can think of. And we all have chased the rabbit trail, haven't we? We've all chased it. We've all gone down the path of trying to see what is that thing that's going to satisfy that desire in my heart? What is it? And we fill it with, many times we fill it, or the world fills it with a season of pleasure or material things that, that in the end are just not going to last. They may be there temporarily, but the only thing that's going to fill that vacuum or that God-shaped uh, area in my life is a long-term relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything less than that is going, to be, is going to leave me empty and wanting, and it's going to leave me in eternal punishment. Understand that, please. And sadly enough, there are even those in the church that don't recognize this longing either. Our church, our society that we live in, our, 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 the, the Americanized church system is so much into feel-good messages, so much into I want a pep talk today, I want to be encouraged today, but don't give me the truth because the truth hurts. And that is not feeding the spiritual man. That is tickling the ears of a fleshly man. And so we need to understand that we need to dig deep and we need to understand what that really means. That, that, that desire within me, I have to know that I have to fill it with Christ, I have to fill it with godly things and godly philosophies. And what's really the saddest thing of all is, in, is when we see Christians that are so-called Christians that are out in the world and they're trying to chase after the same thing the world is chasing after to try to fill that void. What kind of an example can you be to your friends if you are a so-called Christian, but then you're out chasing the same things they're chasing? If you're out looking for satisfaction the same way they're looking for satisfaction, when you know the truth is here, you know the truth is in the Word, you know the truth is in Christ, it's a relationship with Jesus, it's not in my material possessions, it's not in what I can gain, and it's not in what I can lose. It's not in what I have or what I don't have materially. It is in my place and my position with Christ. It's in my worship attitude. It's in my spirit growth attitude. It is in my seeking Christ. It's in understanding biblical concepts. It's in my learning, my desire to learn, my desire to, to, to give to him whatever is due him. And that is everything, by the way. I don't have the ability to take and pick and choose what I'm going to give God today. Because if I'm really a spiritual man, if I'm really seeking after godly things, then I recognize that everything I have is already his. And now I'm just a steward of it, and I'm just to honor him by taking care of it carefully and making sure that I grow it and nurture it, and I make sure that I give him a return of my fruit in my life. See, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that no matter how hard we chase after the things of this world, this void in our lives is never satisfied. 
And for most of us in this room, we haven't made it to the financial top of the world financially. So therefore, when we, we have a thinking in our mind, and I'm not any different than any of you, but if I just have a little bit more money, I may be a little bit more satisfied. If I can just get a little bit more, I, I, I see everybody else, I see other people with things, and I think, boy, they look happy, but we've read the stories, haven't we? We've seen the tabloids, the people that really make it financially. Are they really happy? Have they really fulfilled their life's call? John talks to us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16 in the King James Version. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. If God would bless me with all the money in the world that I needed to buy that huge house or that fancy car or that big airplane or that huge boat, there's nothing wrong with having those things. Understand that I am not preaching against it. I am not saying that poor people are more spiritual than rich people. I am not saying that at all. But what I am saying is this. It's the chasing after the things that can become wrong. If that becomes my goal in life is to have that big house, have that big car, have that expensive fast airplane, have that huge yacht, if that becomes my goal, if that becomes my idol, then I'm putting that before God. And all of a sudden now that is a sin in my life and I, don't, and I shouldn't have that. So it's important that we recognize those things and we recognize then what do we want. And, and, and here's the reality of it all. I couldn't make enough money if I wanted to, if I could, to buy that big airplane. So why try? Why beat myself up for it? Why get caught up in the American dream? I really couldn't afford it anyways. If I could buy it, I probably couldn't put fuel in it because it's too expensive to operate. So all of a sudden, the things that we have, if I do have them, they begin, they begin to control me. And I, what I bought at one time now becomes a management issue because now I have to maintain it, I have to feed it, I have to put fuel in it. You know, you know Grandpa Way would say, blessed is nothing. Blessed is nothing. And sometimes so be it the way it is. Because the more I have, the more I have to maintain and the more controls me. So what I'm really saying here is that if we are replacing the hunger for God in our lives with the chasing for something of this world, whether we can attain it or not, is when the things of this world become wrong. So understand that much, how it is. Now let's bring that down a little bit more to our level because maybe, maybe your dream isn't to have that big car, that big boat, or that big airplane. But maybe you're thinking that, that what's going to fulfill you this morning is relationships with people. Maybe it's going to be in my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my spouse or my grandchildren. Well, let me tell you again, that's, that's a chasing after the wind. It's not where you get your fulfillment. It's not where you get your, your real sense of fulfilling that, that inner desire. The only place that we're going to find and fulfill that, that calling in our heart is as we root ourselves deeply in the love of Jesus and fill ourselves up with his love and his mercy. That is the only place where we will get fulfillment in our life. And let me give you one more bit of information to encourage you. Because as, you are, as we are living this life, 
as we are living an obedient, godly, God-fearing life that is working to do everything we can to fulfill the Great Commission, and that we are helping the poor, and we're helping the widows, and we're speaking truth into our work, co-workers at, at, at work, and our people at friends at school, and as we're living a godly life, all of the things that you just saw that we really couldn't have for a long time anyways, you'll have forever in heaven. Think of that. You want a mansion? You'll have a mansion in heaven. He says, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you, a place for you. And he's, that's what Jesus is doing right now. He is preparing our rewards for us. So as I work diligently here and as I maintain my focus here to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance, he is making, he's building my mansion. My airplane is waiting in the hangar for me. My boat is in the slip there. I don't care how you want to look at it. I will have the blessings of all of that forever. That's the reward of promise that God has given me as I maintain my spiritual focus here on earth. But I can't get the cart before the horse. If I start thinking that way, then I'm going to, I'm going to have something that I'll never attain. I'll never win it. And if I did get it, it won't last long. It'll last until the day that I die. And then it's gone. So you choose this morning. You choose what are you, cho what are you chasing after? What are you seeking after? If we leave our feeding the spiritual man up to our natural man, it won't get fed. Let me say that again. If we leave feeding our spiritual man up to our natural man, our natural man will not feed the spiritual man because they're at odds with each other, because they are not on the same page. Because our natural man is a fleshly man, and it is designed to, to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The sinful nature is our human nature, our fleshly nature, and it desires what is contrary to the spirit, and, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So if we say, oh, you know what, I'm just going to get by, I'm just going to live the middle road, I'm, I, I go to church, I'm, I, I've, been, I've asked Jesus into my life oh, a few years ago, and I'm just going to maintain status quo, and I'm just going to take the easy life. That's letting the, the, the fleshly man, the natural man, be in control of your life. And you're not feeding your spiritual man, and your spiritual man will not sustain itself unless you feed it. No more than your physical man will live unless you feed it. Does it make sense? Are we catching it at all here? It requires a very distinct effort on our part to choose which spirit is going to control your life, the spirit of the flesh and its sinful nature, or the spirit of God. Jesus gave a very direct and hard teaching regarding flesh and the spirit in the book of John. These are Jesus' words, starting in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up 
at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus was talking about feeding the spiritual man. You have to feed your life on the things of God. And how do you do that? You do that through study and prayer. You don't do that by watching TV. You don't do that by just being a good person. You have to do it with a diligent effort. Verse 63 says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are the Spirit, and they are life. So my challenge here this morning is, are we willing to spiritually feed on the Word of God? How much do you want a continuing life of growth with Him? And what are you willing to do to gain it? Now, as I was studying for this message, it hit me, that, that some here may think that I spend a lot of time bringing challenges to your life in my preaching rather than bringing pep talks to how good we're all doing. And the fact is, I really don't know how good you're doing. <laughs> I don't know if you're really doing good. So, in my going back to, all right, Mike, lighten up. Stop the challenges. Stop bringing the word and just start talking about how good we all are. Am I really doing you a service or doing me a service when I do that? And I really was challenged to say, wow, these people are tired of me preaching about how bad they are. First of all, you're not bad. And first of all, I'm not preaching how bad you are. I am not doing that. I am preaching the word of God that comes as a challenge to all of us spiritually that we are living our lives with godly perspectives and godly challenges and I'm trying to give you meat to chew on throughout the week. I chew on this before last week and and next week and I chew on a lot and I hope you do too because I believe this is the word of the Lord. And I believe this is God's calling to us to say, wake up people, wake up. It's time to get serious about me. It's time to put this thing in action. It's time to fill this church up with godly people. It's time to get out and do the work that I've called you to do, and that is evangelize the world. And you don't do that by feeding the fleshly man. You don't do that by letting the natural man win. You only do that by taking control and giving the spirit man priority in your life. And you might think, well, I can live my Christian life the way I want to, and I will say, yes, you can but I have no guarantee what it's going to be at the end. So therefore, I would suggest and I would challenge you then to get into the Word and get in and study and get in and become the godly person that God is calling us all to become. Many of us treat life choices, though, differently than Jesus treated life choices. Jesus gave us everything. He, did, he left nothing in heaven. When he came down to earth, he gave up everything. And if I take the attitude to say, Lord, yes, you gave me everything, and I'm going to give you a little bit of me when it's convenient for me, do you think I'm not grieving him a little bit? Do you think it really makes 
the mark? Do you think you're really passing the grade if that's your philosophy, that I'll give to God when it's convenient for me to give, but when it's not convenient, I'm going to hold back? Jesus gave it all. And if we're going to gain Christ, we have to give it all to him. We will not have it two ways. You can't have it that you're going to just give him a little. And let me ask you this question. You look at your life. I'm looking at mine. You look at your life. If you could trade places with Christ, if, if, (laughs) you can't do it, but if you could trade places with him, how would you feel about the way you've committed your life to him? If you could trade places, how would you feel about your life to him? Let me ask you another question. Let me ask it this way that might also bring it a little bit easier. If fathers in this place and mothers, if your kids were living the life that you lived, would you be happy? If your kids were reading the Bible as much as you're reading the Bible, if your kids were praying as much as you were praying, would you be happy with their life? The reason I say that is because I know how easy it is to preach the word. It's easy to get up here and say everything I'm saying. It's more difficult, though, tomorrow morning when I have to get up and do it myself. And I understand that. I'm not preaching here because I have it all figured out that I'm doing perfect. I know how hard it is because I struggle too. But I'm asking myself and I'm asking you the challenge, how well are you doing? And are you doing it to the best of your ability or are you doing it as, as, as a way to say, I can get by? And the rules... Maybe are for somebody else, but I can get by. So as we begin and, and look at 2012, as we get moving into this year, I think it is important that we go back and look at 2011 and we measure our spiritual growth. How do we measure spiritual growth? How do you measure it? You measure physical growth by height, weight, hair loss, or change of color for some of us. But we also measure age by wrinkles, sagging skin, the gravity takes over. I mean, it just does. By our pant size or our dress size, you know, we, we measure growth. That's how we measure physical growth. And it's quite easy to measure that. But how do you measure spiritual growth? If somebody was to ask you that, what would you tell them? What would you tell them? How do you measure spiritual growth? See, as evidence that you have a true relationship with Christ, there must be fruit of some kind. There must be some physical evidence, there must be some fruit in your life that is measurable, that would would give evidence that you have a true relationship with Christ. And every person's fruit will be unique. It will be different in its shape and amount. But like every relationship in our life, it's dynamic. It will grow. Relationships either grow or diminish. They don't stay flat. And one of the most evident ways to measure our growth is to look back over time. It's hard to look day to day. It's hard to look, am I more spiritually mature today than I was yesterday or last week? But I should be able to look back last year. Am I more spiritually mature today than what I was a year ago? Have I grown in my life? Have I, have I developed a more mature spiritual attitude? Am I doing the things? Is there, is there more fruit in my life today than there was a year ago that I'm spiritually mature? And the question is now, how do we measure spiritual growth? 
See, most times when we, when we measure, we're tempted to look at the inputs that make us grow rather than the outputs that we see. In other words, what are the inputs? If I measure only inputs of spiritual growth, such as how many times do you read your Bible? How many minutes a day do you pray? How many people do you invite to church? See, if we measured our spiritual growth by the inputs, we'll often feel like we're a failure in our spiritual life. It's not how much you read the Bible. It's how much are you applying what you read in the Bible. See, I can read the Bible in a year. I can read it through in a year, and the words go in and they go out. That doesn't make me grow spiritually. It's when I read the word, I chew on the word, and then I apply the word. That brings growth. So to we, me to we measure growth, we measure the outputs of our spiritual life, such as, am I becoming more patient? Am I learning to love people that are hard to love? Do I desire to be more like Christ today than I desired to be like Christ last year? Some of those things are, are the discernible measurables. It's not how much I put into what I put into my input. It's what am I getting out of my input? What am I, what's my results of that? What's my results of reading the Bible? And the outputs, the results of our faith, really determine if we're growing to be more like Christ. And discipline helps develop our development of spiritual fruit. And I believe that practicing private disciplines help us grow in our faith, but those are the inputs the discipline is not the goal. The fruit is the goal, or the outputs are the goal. Jesus never told his followers that you would be known by the number of disciplines you keep. He says that you would be known by your fruit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. And as we know, as we grow, we will see the evidence of our fruit become known to people. See, when I look at a fruit tree... I don't tell the kind of tree it is by the inputs that go into the tree. I don't look at the water that is being absorbed by the root system. I'm not looking at the sunlight that develops photosynthesis in the leaves. I'm not looking at the fertilizer that the farmer puts on the plant. I, those inputs mean nothing to me because it's an oak tree or an apple tree. They take the same inputs. But how I tell the difference in the fruit or how I tell the difference in the tree is by looking at the limbs. I look at the limbs, I see the leaf, and I see the kind of fruit it is, and then I can say, that's an apple tree. So from a Christian perspective, when I look at people, I'm not looking at, you can tell me, oh, I read the Bible every day, I pray every day. Well, great, good for you, that's important, and you need to have those inputs. That's like the water and the nutrients going into your, into your limb system. But how I know you're a Christian is by the fruit that I see in your life. Are you loving? Are you compassionate? Do you care? And, and, and that's the fruit, and that's the areas that we need to, to be concerned about. And so we don't want to diminish, or, or I don't want to say that it's not important for spiritual life to read your Bible, because it absolutely is. But that's not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is the fruit. And I know that this can get weird and dangerous, because I know that people, once you understand the church game, I know that we can put on a good show and fool a lot of people. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a show for show's sake here. I'm not talking about just look good in front of people 
because then you look spiritual. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is your personal relationship with Jesus because there's going to come a day someday where you're going to stand before him and you're going to give an account for your life. And that will be nothing then to what I thought about you. My thinking of you or somebody else's perception of you will mean nothing to you on that day of judgment. God's not going to say, well, what did the pastor think of you? What did the Sunday school teacher think of you? What did the guy sitting across the aisle think of you? What did your neighbor think of you? Well, they thought I was a great guy, God. Look at him, and I fooled them all. And he says, you know what? You didn't fool me. I don't even know who you are because you, I don't see spiritual growth. I don't see you having a desire to get to know me when you had the chance. That is a challenge. That is a call to all of our lives. We have the time today to get in and know who Christ is. And we don't do it by letting our natural man have control. If I let my natural man decide how spiritual I'm going to be, I'm not going to be spiritual. I have to take a position. I have to put my feet on the Word of God, and I have to say, I am going to learn about you, Christ. I am going to study the Word. I am going to apply it to my life, and I am going to be a vibrant Christian person because on that day of judgment, I want to make sure that you know who I am. Wow. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 tells us about some of the things that we should stop doing if we're going to produce spiritual life in our life. And I'm going to read this fast. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and alike. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're like me, you look at that list and you say, well, you know, I, that, none of that applies to me. I'm not, I don't have idols. I'm not a witch. Um, you know, I, I don't have any. I'm, I'm not a drunkard. I don't go to orgies. Uh, so, therefore, I just look past the Scripture because I say, oh, that's too sinful. But you know what? When I take a look at that again, and it says that uh, idolatry, it says... Um, if I put anything in front of God, guess what that is? It's an idol. If I put my pleasure in front of God, guess what that is? It's idolatry. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Come on. If we're honest with ourselves, we all see areas in our lives that, fit, that we fit those descriptions. We all have hatred towards people in some ways. We all have discord or jealousy or fits of rage. We lose our temper. We have these issues. Selfish ambition. Come on, that's pretty obvious for all of us. We all are more concerned about myself than, than anybody else. Selfish ambition. That's a pretty obvious one. Dissensions and factions, areas that I put myself over, over others and I refuse to have Christian unity. I'm stubborn. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to tell me I have to be here Wednesday nights. Nobody's going to tell me I have to be in unity in the church service. Envy, another one that we put all kinds of different names to. So I can see, are, are you getting the picture here? We are that people. That is our natural man. That's, if we let our natural, natural man reign, that's exactly what we are. Maybe not all of them, but all it takes is one of them, and we lose. Let's continue on then. What's amazing, you go from verse 21 to verse 22, and it says, Now this is the list that we can begin to see areas of growth in that tells us that we're on the right track. 
Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So now here it is. Where are you growing? This is the fruit that we see. If I'm growing spiritually, then I have more love. I have more joy. I have more peace. I have more patience. I have more kindness. I have more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. It doesn't mean I'm perfect in them. It means I'm growing in them. As long as I have more of those today than I had a year ago, as long as I had more of those operating in my life than I had last week, then I'm growing spiritually. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect because none of us are. If we're going to be perfect, we're going to be trying to measure the inputs in our life, and we're going to get very frustrated with the inputs. The output is fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I have those abounding in my life, then I am growing spiritually. That's a good word. That's an encouraging word. Because we all can live, we all can grow spiritually. So let me ask you this morning, how are you measuring up? Are you becoming more patient? Are you learning to love people more? Are you? And as we conclude, if Jackie, as you would come, please. As we go through this next week, I really want to encourage us all to re-examine our lives and identify, am I growing or not? Am I really growing or not? And I'm not talking about putting on a show for people. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about you making a personal evaluation of your life and say, where am I? And am I going to be in the roll call up yonder someday or not? You need to know that. You need to be honest with yourself because you're the only one that can do this. Are you spiritually hungry? Are you finding in your life an appetite to read God's Word and to study it and apply it? to find areas in your life that you can spiritually grow in, how you can take God's Word and, and make it applicable to you, how it can change you, not just read it to, to read its sake. But your natural man will not do this on its own unless you make it, unless you get in charge, unless you take responsibility. The natural man will take you down a natural disaster, and it won't be good. So as we close this morning, I just, want to, I just want to know, I just want you to understand the significance of you holding yourself accountable. If you want to pray after we pray and dismiss, I'd be happy to pray with you. I'd be happy to stay here and just encourage you. But it really is a personal thing. I don't want people to just to do it to show. But if you really have a hunger for God, or if you, want a, if you want more of a hunger for God, then ask Him. Ask Him, and He will give you the hunger. Then you need to make a choice. You need to make a sacrifice. You need to make a sacrifice of praise. You need to make a sacrifice of your time this week. You need to spend time understanding God's Word, calling it out in, his, in your life. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you the way that you challenge us with your word. Oh, Lord, you have given us so many blessings in this life, and we are so thankful. But, Lord, let us never run after the blessings more than a blesser. Lord, let us not seek the things of this world as our mode of satisfaction. 
But Lord, help us to recognize who you are. Help us to put uh, you in front of all things in our life. And Lord, help us to grow. Help us to become more spiritually mature. Help us to grow up in Christ. Help us to grow up in our salvation. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. You know, do whatever you have to do to teach us and instruct us and help us to be willing and, and, and quick to hear. Lord, I really pray this in Jesus' name.